Hello, this is Tell Me Straight Time Warlock and Bot, joined as usual by Yasmin Parry Bot. Today, humans, how to extract their organic matter to use as energy more efficiently. Lol. 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 Yum. Yum. Kill all humans. Well, that is Yasmin Paribot, very unprofessionally oh, uh, killing all humans in the start of that this show. Is embarrassing. So, well, that was our journalism bot. And today we're going to be talking about jobs. About robots taking our jobs specifically. In I a, think that robot did a pretty good job. I'm I worried. Did. I should yeah. be. Um, is it a crazy dystopian future that will soon be upon us? Or is it sort of really a fundamental change to the way that advanced economies work. Uh, I'm going to go with, I think, the uh, the uh, utopian future sounds... Um, I think dystopian is what you mean. It depends, you on which, yeah. depends on which side you're sitting. So, but basically, we hear a lot about jobs and we hear a lot about robots replacing jobs. But which ones? Like, we're we talking lawyers, doctors, journalists, as you say? Are God they forbid. all on the chopping block? Some economists have proposed a neat solution called a universal basic income. And it would mean that we can all receive a wage and we don't have to work for it. So could this be our best defence against the rise of the machines? Well, we've got Elise Morgan and Michael Yanda from the business unit here to chat to us about it. Hi, guys. Hey there. So are the robots going to take us all down and kill us and put us into batteries a la The Matrix? Oh, I definitely think that is a very likely scenario, <laughs> Well, Will. South Australia has had a lot of energy problems, so, you know, it is that one, could be one solution, extreme no, okay. as it is. So, yes and no. There are a lot of jobs that are being automated and a lot of jobs that are being displaced because of artificial intelligence. And it's not necessarily jobs on a factory floor. It's not necessarily low-paid jobs that you think it might be. Increasingly, as AI gets better, we're seeing jobs like bookkeeping, basic accounting, basic work that lawyers do, like contracting and discovery. That's being replaced by computers that are up in the cloud already. So it's it's things that are repetitive. It doesn't matter how high order those are. If they're repetitive and monotonous, robots can easily learn that now. Creative, human interaction jobs, they're much less likely to be replaced, like podcasting. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> I mean, mean the, you the couldn't get difference. a robot to come up with this drivel, surely. <laughs> <laughs> The the big difference with previous industrial revolutions, so this has been called the fourth industrial revolution, previously it's been manual work that's been replaced by machines. So you talk about industrial revolution one, two, three, you know, we've had production lines coming through, we've had agriculture become increasingly mechanised. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, we're talking about, say, World War Two, when, you know, 30, 40%, 50% of populations were working on farms to produce food. In a country like Australia, even though we're a massive agricultural exporter, that's now like one or two or three percent of people who work in agriculture. So in, in the, the first wave, I suppose, was when humans came in from the paddocks, so to speak, built equipment, built machines, used animals to make their life easier. Then we went into what factories mm. and then they were automated out over time. Machines like building cars, for example, do it much cheaper, much better. This time it's... White this time jobs. it's intelligence. It's actually mental tasks that are now being done by machines. Now, at the moment, these are just, as Elise said, the basic, repetitive, pretty simple tasks, uh, you know, and, and collating information together. But in the future, they could become much more complex and even creative as machines develop their own learning. 
whether they can learn to think like humans and how long that will take is not really a question for an economist. Some, some research that uh, was done at Oxford University believes that within 25 years, a robot or you know, a, a computer will be able to write a New York Times bestseller. That's concerning. So is that, the, is that what people are worried about? Like, it's one thing to say, let's get rid of these boring, repetitive jobs that, you know, maybe people don't want to do, frees up time, space, energy to do more creative jobs. If the creative jobs are being done by robots, what does that leave for humans? Yeah, and that's a longer-term problem. You know. <laughs> And, and Stephen Hawking, actually, the, the cosmologist and very famous physicist, uh, he said this could work out two ways. Either we can share the fruits of the robot's labour and artificial intelligence uh, in a more equitable society and have more time off to go to the beach and enjoy each other's company and, you know, do the work we actually want to do, or the owners of the robots can monopolise all the profits that their robots are generating and everyone else lives unemployed, destitute and in poverty and he said currently it looks more likely that we're heading down that latter road. Is the issue here, though, because new industries like the internet and technology have created new jobs. There's no denying that jobs exist today that didn't exist 15, 10, 15 years ago. Is the problem that technology isn't allowing the creation of as many jobs as required. Well, that's that's the concern. I mean, in the past when we saw, you know, the first part of technology revolutionise banks, we saw automatic tellers come in. Now, those people who used to be the tellers, who used to do the really boring transactions, taking people's cash, uh, writing them out checks, those sorts of things, those people then became more highly skilled in offering better services, more human interaction and doing higher order jobs in the bank. They still take your cash, they're salespeople. (laughs) In fact, they take more of your cash and you don't get it back. (laughs) This is an economics joke. This is is what the business guys do for fun with it. But now there is the concern that with this next revolution of AI and robotics replacing even those more higher order jobs that we've been doing, yes, there will be less jobs for everyone. So which is where the universal basic income comes in. There's there's statistics that show that we'll be doing tasks, we'll be doing jobs, but it will take us much less time. The, the eight-hour working day will become completely redundant. We won't have enough work to be doing. The, the workday will shrink but significantly. The work satisfaction will rise because you're probably doing more interesting tasks, but it's going to take you less time to do it because much of the mundane work that you do is automated. Sounds pretty bloody good to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's get into that. And does that have to do with what you were saying before, Michael, that you know Stephen Hawking was saying we could go one of two ways and one of those ways could be that we share in the fruits of the robot's labour. Is that what, what, what you're talking about with a universal basic income? And what is that? What would that look like? Yeah, so Stephen Hawking, it, it was in a Reddit Ask Me Anything that he did a couple of years ago. He didn't specifically mention UBI in that answer, but that's basically the kind of thing he's referring to there because the way a universal basic income would have to work is that you'd need to massively increase taxation revenues in most countries to pay for it. Hang on, what Um, is a universal basic income? So basically you pay everyone a basic living wage. Uh, There's argument about how high that would be as different models, but you pay a basic living wage whether people are working or not. So every adult person in the country gets it. Uh, kind of like an aged pension, but for everyone. Uh, so the and Essentially, without means you can retire tests. when you're 18, Will. 
Right. Um, and most models have it as a pretty basic payment. So people I've spoken to are suggesting something around the level of New Start or something between New Start and the age pension. So New Start's about 15 grand a year, which is not very much to live on mm. as anyone who's unemployed knows very well. But it is enough to at least feed yourself, house yourself. And if you do work, you get to keep the money from that work. It's not like you suddenly lose this universal payment as you do with New Start as soon as you start earning other income. That's the basic concept. So if you have a job that has become highly automated and has has been turned over to artificial intelligence, you only have to work four hours a day. You don't have to worry so much about the fact that your actual wage from that job is going to be significantly lower because you have this baseline on which to survive. The argument being that um, if you look at uh, age pensioners, they're one of the most active groups in society when it comes to unpaid caregiving, unpaid charity work, unpaid involvement in community groups. And so it would free up all members of society to be able to actually contribute to society and be a part of society in whichever way they choose. But you have to pay for it. And that goes back to Stephen Hawking's right. point about... Because the welfare system is pretty expensive as, as it stands and that's with everyone working to pay tax to fund it. If no one's working uh, and everyone's getting 15 grand a year, how, will, how would the system work? Well, I think what we're talking about here, in, the, in if robots really do take our jobs, that version of universal basic income, the Stephen Hawking sort of futurist version, is basically taxing the owners of the robots who are presumably getting all the profits from all the work that these machines are now doing that humans used to do and taxing them very highly so that they can then support the rest of society who used to work but now no longer can find jobs because the robots are doing them all. So you'd actually have to shift away from income taxes to taxes based more on wealth, land and also the ownership of capital. So there's this huge debate about cutting company tax, for instance, but if companies were the main owners of the robots, we might actually need to look at a future where we massively increase company tax because there's actually very few people working and paying income tax and the, and the companies are making these huge super profits because they don't have to pay anyone. And, and just keep in mind, like this isn't like some crazy idea that's just popped into people's heads and it's all just in textbooks. Like there has actually been real trials of this, hasn't there, Michael? Like in the US and I think, uh, is it Finland? Yeah, so in the US in the 70s, they did some small scale trials around uh, what they called a negative income tax, which is basically the same effect as a universal basic income. And uh, they've also now doing trials in Finland, in the Netherlands, in Ontario and Canada as well. It's just launched a trial. So it will be interesting to see what the current results are. And was it Finland that voted on whether they would adopt it or not? There, wasn't there a country Switzerland. who... Switzerland. Switzerland. And they voted it down, but there was a reasonable level of support. I think it was about a third. And we keep making gags about, well, you just go to the beach all day. Why would you work? I mean, is that a concern that if you have a, a universal basic income and people don't need to work, that they just won't? 
Yeah, well, it won't be a concern in Switzerland because there are no, it's <laughs> landlocked. But <laughs> they, they might be going skiing all day. Business and comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it is definitely a concern. And that's actually one of the main things that's being trialled in the current experiment in Finland. It's The Finnish experiment's not a proper universal basic income experiment because they're actually only giving the basic income to unemployed people mainly long-term unemployed people, to see that it's basically like they won't lose their welfare payment if they do find additional work or go back to work or get part-time work or start a business. And it's to see whether that encourages more people who are on the dole to actually go and try and get work or start a business. But some of the other trials, like in Canada, are a mix of people uh, and it's going to be unemployed and employed people to see what effect this has on their behaviour. And it's also really interesting that there's talk of that there will be obligations. You don't just get given the money. The state looks at what its expenses are and huge cost on government budgets is health. Now, we know that cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, different things are related to chronic health problems, being overweight related to chronic health problems that cost the health system a lot. So there's an idea that under the UBI, you will be obligated to be a good citizen. So no, don't smoke because it's going to cost us a lot. You know, if you're overweight, we will put you in a program to address that because we don't want that as a long-term cost on the health system. If you're going to be a recipient of the UBI, you have obligations to society. Isn't that fundamentally against the idea of a a universal basic income that you'll put provisions on it? Well, I think there's a couple of different models and it's, it's an interesting concept, the UBI, because it has support from the right and the left, including both the far right and far left, like extreme libertarians, some of them support it. And, you know, as communists and socialists, a lot of them support it as well. But then a lot of lefties and right wingers also oppose it. So it's got this, you know, mix of support and opposition precisely for these sort of reasons, because on the left, uh, a lot of people, humanitarians, would say, well, look, it, it makes moral sense because we've got this universal declaration on human rights and people have a right to food, shelter, you know, all these basic living conditions and a un- universal basic in- income fulfills that and therefore you shouldn't put any conditions on it. It doesn't matter if people choose to go to the beach, uh, smoke cigarettes, drink themselves to death. It's their right to have at least a bit of money to allow them to survive. Other people, of course, disagree with that model of things and think that there should be some obligation to do community service to get your basic income. What happens if we don't do it? Like if the if the trends continue... Look into... Get your crystal ball, look into the future. Well, the thing is there is no trend yet about people losing their work to robots. So the US, I think, is one of the most mechanised. The US is one of the most automated and mechanised workforces in the world. They are streets ahead of particularly where Australia is. And yet their current unemployment level is the lowest it's been in a significant amount of time. So whether they're related or not, I mean, unemployment figures aren't fantastic because if you've been unemployed enough or long enough, you actually drop out of the count. So you're not even counted in the unemployment figure. Mm. Um, But it's interesting to see they're, they're further ahead of where we are. 
further ahead of where a lot of nations are. So it'll be interesting to see how the US economy actually works and how it functions as more and more automation comes in. Are we talking, what's the timeline, 10, 15 years? Well, the research shows that I think it's over the next two decades in Australia, around 44% of jobs will be affected by automation. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they will be replaced and they will disappear, but it means that they will be affected. So whether your job significantly changes, whether uh, your hours will be significantly reduced, um, they're all parts of that effect that automation will have. And it really, this is where you need uh, robotics and artificial intelligence experts to weigh in because in some areas we're seeing rapid change. So there's a lot of prediction that within a decade you could see, you know, so 30, 50% of the cars on the road uh, having either full or partial driverless functions, maybe within a couple of decades, m- the majority of cars on the road being driverless. And there goes taxi drivers as a profession, delivery drivers already in the US, they've been trialing driverless semi-trailers, you know, enclosed sort of experiments. So these are getting very close to becoming commercial. Other things like r- replacing doctors, that could be a lot further away. But we also do have driverless trucks and driverless trains already in mining uh, situations across the world. Uh, Rio Tinto's major mines over in Western Australia, they're all driverless, controlled by just a couple of people in a computer room in Perth. So what's something we could study and start uh, learning to do now so that when the robots rise in, uh, in the future will be ready. And I, I often make the joke of robot repairman, though Michael keeps telling me that there's going to be robots and they'll fix themselves. So don't say that. But um, <laughs> what, what can I learn? Nursing. Why? It depends on so much human interaction, doesn't it? Um, you're running around a hospital, you are dealing with patients, there needs to be a high degree of empathy and dealing with patients and their families. It's one area where even the most avid supporters of AI and robotics say that's probably not going to be an area where we're going to get a robot anytime soon. Would you say the same for education, teaching? Yeah, I think teaching, uh, things like consultancy too, like it's much easier to imagine a computer in the short term replacing accountants and auditors who are looking at numbers and making sure they add up and check out than it is to say replace a management consultant, financial consultant who goes in and talks to CEOs about how they can improve their their business and, and restructure. Same with law. If you're a solicitor who's mainly doing legal research, I think in you know the not too distant future, you could be in trouble because a computer would be very good at looking up legal databases and coming up with basic solutions to simple legal problems. But if you're a you know, specialised barrister uh, appearing in front of a judge. I doubt many human judges are going to be overly impressed if a robot shows up and, you know, cites them some case law. <laughs> Politicians will probably be okay. Oh, they'll always be okay because they have make a human. the decisions. Yeah. <laughs> we can't, when, when, will, when will we elect our first robot overlord? That's, the, that's surely the day that we know that it's all going to begin the downfall. I think the robots would elect their own overlord. (laughs) Don't give them the vote. (laughs) That'll fix that. Thank you very much for coming in and telling me straight. We're talking about uh, before just like getting a robot to ask all the questions. We'd have to feed the robot. Yeah, we realised it would actually be more work for us to get the robot to ask the questions than it would for us to just do it. So, Well, actually, you could have one of you feeding the robot. So one of you has to go. (gasps) 
I'll go. I'm out. All right. <laughs> go to the beach. Okay. Thanks very much, guys. See ya. Thank See ya. you. This is Tell Me Straight. I'm Will Luckenden. That's Yasmin Parry. Sign up on iTunes. Find us on our website. Send us an email. It's tellmestraight.abc.net.au. Yeah, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye. Bye. Goodbye.